This is an ABC podcast. Can you be more Pacific? On ABC Radio Australia. And welcome to Can You Be More Pacific? I'm Dean Hartel, and as always, I'm joined by the awesome Sarah Nangama. Bulla Dean and Bulla to all of our listeners. It feels amazing to back to be back in the studio for another stellar week. We've got lots coming up in the next hour. We take a look back at the weekend in sport. We chat with Kath Heppenstall, who is the PNG Lowers head coach, and we have a new question for our favorite segment. You can ask that. But as always, first things first. A little bit of a check-in. How has your week been? Check-in. Uh, week was good. I had last weekend, I think we're in, in last week's show, I talked about the 40th that I went to. Well, this weekend I had a wedding, so the celebrations continued. Uh, and then I followed up the wedding, which was on a Saturday night with a concert on Sunday night. I went to Who see, is he? went to see Guns N' Roses with some friends, which was uh, pretty cool. Guns N' Roses, old school rock band. And, uh, or who's one of the who's gra- that? Oh, my gosh. Are you being serious or no, joking with me? I've Guns just seen N' it on, Roses. I've just seen it on a T-shirt. Oh, <laughs> JJ's normally sell a t-shirt that says Guns N' Roses. Roses. I really like the artwork. Yeah, no, no. Guns N' Roses is like 80s, 90s, big time, like stadium band. <laughs> I'm just roll. pulling your leg. I kind of oh, know you're talking me. about, but I don't know any of their songs. Yeah, well, that, it was really cool. And like I said, 80s, 90s. So yeah, definitely outside your your range. And like it was it's different and it was fun. And uh, that was really exciting. What have you been up to, Sarah? What have I been up to? Um, look, a lot of the same in all honesty. Coming back from World Cup, I've just been trying to get back on top of my life admin. And I just feel as though my to-do list is just getting longer and longer and longer. But I have to say, I've been trying to do very adult things like trying to consolidate my super. <laughs> that is very adult. And creating a new spreadsheet so I can set out my budgeting goals. Like I, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to be a grown up. Ordering. Yeah. It's, um, it sucks. I never asked to be born, but here we are trying to do all the hard tasks in one day. <laughs> well done. That's, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't do very well with some like sorting and organizing of all my home stuff. So it's good that you're doing that. Trying. Uh, here we go. Sweet child Oh, yeah. You know this, yeah? Oh, yeah. Okay. Axel Rose slash the guitarist. Oh, Slash! Yeah, Slash is the lead guitarist for Guns N' Roses. Oh, so this is his band? Well, it's... The like, band that he's part of? Yeah, yeah, he's a part of it. Oh, okay. But he, oh, he, he was like the show stealer, I was say. He was oh. so good. That's awesome. Maybe, very jealous of his skills. Okay. Anyway, what's our top story for this week, Sarah? <laughs> yes, back to the show. Our top story this week uh, is all about Cristiano Ronaldo, who is a fantastic soccer player. As we know, the FIFA World Cup is currently underway, and uh, there was a goal scored on the weekend by a fellow teammate, Bruno Fernandes, and Cristiano has tried to claim the glory. And punters are having a go at him. In towards Ronaldo! Well, he's claiming it. Whether he gets it or not. Of course he is. Of course he's claiming it. He's a, a goal scorer. And it has been announced inside the ground as a goal for Bruno Fernandes. That will not go down well. Of course he's claiming it. He's a goal scorer. I just love that the commentators are like, oh, of course he is. Like they're trying, like he's just expected um, to act this way. Yeah, watching the replay, like 
It, it looked watching it live and quickly from the like say the the high shot that it was deflected off his head into the goal past the Uruguay keeper. But um, watching the the close up replay, the ball doesn't really change direction after it goes past his head. But he just lands and just puts his arms out and celebrates like I got a piece of that. Didn't look like it. No, he well, he desperately wanted to nab another personal record by becoming the oldest player in World Cup history to score in consecutive games, but it just wasn't meant to be. But I just think, like, buddy, you know in your heart of hearts whether your head touched it or not. You carried on like you did, and you've taken away from the moment about Bruno, but I'm glad the officials saw the best in the situation and let it be. Have you ever claimed anything that wasn't yours? Lots. <laughs> <laughs> Lots. Uh, uh, but you know what? He didn't want, they don't want, uh, sorry, Cristiano didn't want people to talk about Bruno, but we're talking about Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno, no, no, no. We don't talk about Bruno. I hope Louis is, this is one of Louis' favourite songs. We don't talk about Bruno, oh, oh, oh. Unless Spot you're Serendine. You will talk about Bruno. We talk about Bruno. <laughs> now, the AFLW had its grand final on the weekend, and we uh, had some tips in studio who we wanted to win or who we thought was going to win. I shouldn't say we wanted to win because that would be biased, but um, yeah, we were tipping. We all tipped Brisbane. Uh, we've been following Jesse Wardlaw with the Brisbane Lions, who's killed it this year, top goal scorer, and uh, yeah, just a superstar. But they unfortunately went down to the Melbourne Demons, Nelly, and it was... Uh, Disappointing for, for Brisbane, a tight contest, but um, they couldn't get the job done. No, and it was a very tight contest. So it was very low scoring. Uh, the Lions were 2-3-15, but the Demons beat them 2-7-19. So just four points in it. So we're not talking about a big high scoring match, but we were seeing these two teams were number one and two in defence and attack. So you've right. got the number one defence going up against the number one attack and then the number two defence going up against the number two attack. Like, yeah, it was always going to be a tight contest. I thought the home ground advantage was really going to play into the fact, you know, and particularly as this ground had never been played on before. Like it was a brand new field. The um, grass had only been laid like five weeks ago. So they weren't even sure if it was going to nip properly down. Like you learn all these terms about. The, yeah, I'm, the keeper, I'm, I like that. I'm learning something right now. <laughs> At least I sound like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but it was a, a fairy tale finish for the demons because you've got players like Daisy Pierce and Karen Paxman who've been there from the beginning. Like they were there before there was an AFLW leading the change, like pushing for this change. So to see. Those kinds of players get their first premiership is is amazing. But I did feel really bad for like a Jessie Wardlaw because she just got stopped. Like she just could not get her hands on the ball. She only got three disposals, like one mark and one score involvement, which has just not been her game this year. So she was well marked, right? They, she's a key attacking weapon. Let's shut her down and she can't get what she normally gets. Yeah, absolutely. So... Definitely a tough game, really exciting contest. Brisbane started off really well. They got the first two goals and then the Demons came back in the second quarter. They came back in the third quarter and they got in front. And then the last quarter was like no goals were scored. It was just all back and forth, a real tussle, like really hard fought. I mean, I, I guess the, those are the grand finals that you want to see, to see two of the best being able to compete like that for the, the, the entire game. For you, Nelly. 
What has been the most rewarding thing about AFLW? Because we know that you follow it closely and you watch it, you know players by their names. To you, to see the growth of the game and where it sits now, as a fan, um, how do you feel about the competition? I mean, I think it's still got a long way to go. Yes. Um, It is still quite in its infancy stages. And I feel like it's, it's probably not treated with the respect that it fully deserves. Um, by the AFL as a competition. Um, But to see these women of all different shapes and sizes come out and represent, and I wasn't expecting to feel anything when the Swans came out because I am a Giants and a Swans fan and I already had a team in the competition. So I didn't really think when they brought in all of the teams that I would be affected by it. But I actually got really emotional seeing the Swans run out on North Sydney Oval for the very first time. It was like, oh, my God, the competition is almost whole now. Like the fact that they've all got a team, it was just, it really got me and it just shocked me. I was really surprised. Um, But I do love seeing it and I love seeing the growth of it, like to see these women who started at at one level and like every year you just see the growth and development and the fitness levels and, yeah, I could – Take up a full hour talking about the AFLW. <laughs> no, it's it's so great to hear, I guess, your insights on it because you follow it so, so closely. And, I mean, Dean and I, we are, we follow our sports really closely, but, you know, AFL is something that seems a little bit far from us. Um, but, no, it's it's been awesome to be able to cover their results throughout this season and no doubt next year it's going to be even bigger and better. Yeah, hopefully we can drag you to a game next year. Let's go. Dean shout. <laughs> <laughs> Over to Rugby Union and the spring tour for the Wallabies has come to an end. The Wallabies faced Wales in their last match of their season and this game had absolutely everything in it. The final score was 39 to 34 Wales. No, Australia's way. Australia's way. Out of habit, you were going to say that they lost. <laughs> Excuse me. It was only three games in a row that they Sorry, lost. I shouldn't Narr- say that. Narrowly. <laughs> but um, no, this game was was... There were so many headlines surrounding this game. One, both sides were going in with a lot of heat on their backs because they had very um, very up-down results and their coaches, I guess, their heads were on the chopping block. And for the Wallabies in particular, they fielded a side that was very depleted compared to the side that they first put up um, in round one of the spring tour. They had players in the likes of Ben Donaldson earning his first start, Mark Nwanganitawase, who went on to be an absolute superstar throughout this game on the wing. There were yellow cards, there were everything, but like this is the part that I want to go into. 25 minutes to play, Wales are ahead, 34-13. We make some crucial changes off the bench. We see Noel Alessio come on. Um, we see Pete Samu come on. We see Lachlan, Lachlan Lonigan come on. And the power was in the bench and it changed the game. There was just it was Then it just became this fast-scoring affair for the Wallabies. And Mark Nwankinitawase, he only debuted for the Wallabies two weeks ago. He went on to sc- score two tries. Lachlan Lonigan absolutely nails his job once he comes in at hooker um, and scores the, the, the match-winning try. It was just something that I commentated in this game. I was on the edge of my seat. I was genuinely so thrilled for the boys um, just because you didn't see it coming and it was like a comeback from the ages and one that you just could not script. And uh, this is awesome for the Wallabies because they, they finished the spring tour on a real positive note. And as you said, with all the circumstances that were against them, with players not being available through injury, um, blooding some youngsters, and then coming from behind by 21 points to to get a victory, that's something that um, 
they'll hold on to for a long time and it'll set them up for, for next year really well. Yeah, absolutely. Like looking at the beginning of their campaign, they won by one point against Scotland. In the middle of that, they had the likes of France, um, Italy, and I can't remember the last one off the top of my head, and Ireland. And one point difference. They were either one point in front, two points behind. Like it was just, but they lost. And then so everyone's like looking like, can you guys do it? But I guess the most heartening thing about the Wallabies is, yes, they didn't get the wins that they they wanted throughout this campaign, but they've shown that they're really competitive. We're now less than a year out from the Rugby World Cup. I think it's going to be a really interesting test season come next year um, because I don't think we've seen the players that are going to go in their squad. Oh, sorry. What I'm trying to say is I don't think we've seen their full strength squad yet. Yeah, they've got a lot of upside to them, I guess, and uh, launching into this time next year is going to be exciting to see. They, they move up the world rankings too to, to sixth spot from eighth with that win on the weekend. So that's a positive. They're heading in the right direction. Everything's trending well for the Wallabies. Yes. So watch this face. You know, when they come France, the boys are going to be on. So to the Wallabies, it's been an absolute pleasure to cover you this, boys, this season, lads. Yeah, I like that. Good confidence, Sarah, and good work back in the uh, the men's team. Now, over to some international rugby and the Oceania Rugby Under-20s uh, trophy has taken place in Tonga. And uh, there was a match on Tuesday between Tonga and Samoa with Tonga coming out on top, 20 points to 19 in a, in a close one. And there's another match coming up on Saturday the 3rd as well. Yeah, this is really exciting for the boys. It's the first international rugby match to be held in Tonga. In Tonga, sorry, following the volcanic eruption. So um, it's great that they're able to host rugby in the motherland and no doubt come December 3rd, it's going to be quite the game. Yes, we'll bring everyone the result from that match next week. Now, lastly, for our sport wrap, head over to the States where NFL is continuing week 12 across the weekend and some big results. Uh, the Miami Dolphins, uh, Tua Tonga Vailoa, who's their quarterback. I talk about him often. Uh, he's off Samoan Heritage. He, sh- he had a shout out last week for the Samoan boys played in the World Cup Rugby League. He had a huge game uh, for the Dolphins, 299 yards, one touchdown pass and uh, two of the guys that he was feeding the, the ball were Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill, who are arguably probably the best wide wide receiver pairing in the uh, NFL at the moment. So the Dolphins are having a really good season under a new coach. Uh, They continue their winning ways. Uh, And the other result that I want to talk about is is my team, the Green Bay Packers. They've gone down uh, to the Philadelphia Eagles, who... um, Went down 33, the Philadelphia Eagles, who are 10-1 on the season. They won uh, 40, sorry, I should say 40-33 to against the Packers. Um, The Philadelphia Eagles... Quarterback Jalen Hurts, who's had a really good season. He had two touchdown passes, but he had 157 rushing yards. So for a quarterback to be running that much is pretty enormous. Um, And he's had a a number of 100-plus yard running uh, matches this year. So Jalen Hurts is on his way to maybe being in the the chat for an MVP uh, if the Philadelphia Eagles continue their winning ways. Like They've had a remarkable season and they've only lost one game. So uh, that's that's about the the way it's happening in the NFL at the moment. It's exciting times. I'm loving watching it. where I can in between work and children and, and whatnot, because it's a pretty consuming game. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. Well, thanks for the in-depth analysis. Just quickly, how is your, your tipping going or your uh, fantasy leagues? I, I got back on track with two of the leagues I'm in this week. Oh, actually, three. I've won three. So that was um, that was good. So there's, there's money on, on the line here for those We well, you know Money this point of the year is, is always welcomed. It, it is, yes. No matter how you make up. it. Yeah, three kids' presents. <laughs> <laughs> Noah time on Can You Be More Pacific? Back with Talanoa time, and we're very lucky to have the PNG Lewis coach, 
Kath Hemptonstall on the line with us at the moment. She's represented at the WBBL level in the past as a player. She was a right-handed batsman, uh, batswoman, I should say, a right-arm medium pacer, and now she's in charge of the national team for PNG. Kath, thanks very much for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to be here. I'll start by just getting you to share with our audience a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, and uh, how you came to be a cricket player, then now coach. Oh, I've got a pretty standard introduction to cricket in Australia. I grew up playing cricket in the backyard with my family and absolutely loved it and joined um, my local cricket club in Abbasaudi Cricket Club in Melbourne, Victoria. Um, and yeah, just played on my junior cricket there and was lucky enough to get picked up, I guess, in a junior state sort of uh, team when I was quite young and then sort of fell into the system there and had a had a um, yeah really enjoyable career with Victoria and then um, moved across west and played with the Scorchers and, and WA. So yeah, played cricket my whole life and pretty fresh to retirement to be honest and now find myself coaching um, which has been a really, really good journey and um, loving my time with the national team for PNG. Just touching on your experience in the WBBL with the Scorchers, what was that like for you as a player? You speak about just coming or being quite fresh um, out of retirement. Just talk us a little bit about your playing experience and I guess how that's put you in good stead for your coaching role that you're in now. Yeah, I think um, I feel really fortunate to play cricket um, at the time that I did. Um, you know, when I started, it was very much semi-professional. We were training after hours and when I finished up, I was lucky enough to be pretty much full-time. So, um, yeah, it was really, really special to be a part of the, the first big bash, um, which I actually played for the Melbourne Stars then, and that was just a dream come true, just seeing the professionalism rise of the game and, you know, being able to play in front of crowds and, you know, all of a sudden gain all these new fans to the game. That was super, super exciting. And then, yeah, really lucky to finish off with the Scorchers and Ron. That competition's just gone from strength to strength. It's an incredible thing to be a part of. It's a really, really fun tournament to play in being T20 that's sort of the fun format of the game and yeah it's just been amazing to, to witness all the new fans that have come to the game and the exposure that the women's game is now getting. Do, do you find that, uh, that the exposure at that top level has really helped the grassroots of, of cricket as well? I've got a, a really good friend of mine whose daughter just competed at nationals for New South Wales she's only 12 years old but she's um, really competitive. He, he said that the competition at that level was really who's surprised about how um, I guess uh, competitive the girls were against each other, particularly between states. They were sledging each other and getting right into it. <laughs> do, do you find that, that just that top level exposure has really increased the base? Yeah, I think so. There's obviously been a pretty significant investment at the top, but you know, growing up, you know, if you can see your idols playing on TV or be fortunate enough to watch them play live, then that's definitely going to inspire the next generation to to take up the sport. And I think what's been really pleasing is it's not just cricket that's getting these broadcast deals now. You know, you look at other sports like AFLW and the netball and the soccer, and it's really, really exciting for all young girls to be able to grow up and, I guess, see someone a little bit more relatable to them on their screens. When I was growing up, I watched a lot of cricket, but it was all, it was all male cricket, so... I haven't been surprised that there's been a boom at the at the grassroots level now that young girls can, you know, watch some of their superstars play that are that are female as well. So that's been really really exciting. Yeah, it really is exciting and something that we are firm believers about on these shows. You can't be what you can't see. And we know, and I, I as, a, as an athlete have witnessed firsthand how the game or just sport benefits when young girls can actually see you live and in the flesh or whether it's in the screen or them being in the stadium. So I loved, loved um, that insight. Speaking now more currently about your role as uh, the coach of the PNG, PNG sorry, national side, how did this opportunity um, come about? 
so I was in talks with Cricket PNG uh, around about this time last year, maybe a little bit earlier. Um, the girls had a um, World Cup qualifier tournament in Zimbabwe, which was a 50-over tournament. And previously they had a, a model where they just have one coach to coach the men and the women. But as the men's schedule and, and the women's schedule was getting busier and busier, that model wasn't going to work. So initially I was just meant to do a, a three-month contract with, with the team and take them to the qualifiers in Zimbabwe. Unfortunately, we never made it to Zimbabwe because we had a, a COVID outbreak amongst our squad. But um, been fortunate enough to continue into the position, which we have now made full-time. And, and it's been yeah really, really enjoyable to be able to work with the girls. Prior to um, to taking up the role, had you spent any time in, in PNG or is it something that it was uh, fresh exposure for you? Definitely a fresh exposure, yeah. I've been fortunate enough to, to spend a few stints over there now and it's been a little bit of a challenge for me to get over there at this time of year just to obtain a visa, but it's been really, really fun to get over there and meet everyone and I was fortunate enough to meet the girls um, actually in Australia and um, get to know them really well here and it's been super special to be able to get over there and, and meet their families and their community and I guess get a better better understanding of the culture and you know I really immerse myself as much as I can so it's been super exciting I hope to spend a, a lot more time over there at the moment it's a bit of a challenge me being in Australia and half of our squad being in PNG it's um, yeah obviously logistically it makes it really really hard to coach but um yeah I feel really fortunate that I've been able to spend time over there and, and get to know the players on a deeper level. Take us into, I guess, the, the lowers right now. What are you currently uh, working towards? Are there any camps coming up where you'll be able to be together as a group and prepare? So, yeah, just uh, I guess what's on the radar for, for the squad in the coming months? So currently we've got uh, seven of our players in Australia um, and they're in state-based programs and playing in premier competition. So we've got two in Perth, three in Canberra and two have just arrived in Brisbane, which is really, really exciting, and that's through the Pacific Sports Program. Um, so those girls are getting a really great experience, I guess, spending time in high-performance programs in Australia and really sort of fast-tracking their development. And it's been really pleasing to, to watch uh, some of their games on the weekends and really matching it with the Australian players and, and soaking it all in and learning so much, which is super exciting. The rest of our squad are doing a bit of a mini pre-season in, um, in PNG at the moment. And our next our next tournament is in Australia in Canberra. We're playing in the Australian Country Championships tournament in January next year, which will come around really, really quick. So that's sort of our next tournament. Um, and at the moment, we're putting together our, our schedule for next year. Hopefully, we can play as much cricket as possible. We've got a regional qualifier um, that won't be until September next year for the East Asia Pacific region. So if we can win that qualifier, then we'll go through to a World Cup qualifier. But... um. Yeah, hopefully we've got some more cricket in between January and September. Though. What's uh, what's your approach with uh, only having um, say seven of the squad here in Australia and and squad based over in, in PNG? What's your approach as a coach to to making sure you're getting a consistent delivery? I guess if you're programming across all those players. Yeah, it is a bit of a challenge, particularly when I find myself in a scenario at least trying to do it as much as I can remotely, but. Um, it's been a unique experience for the squad to be split up. They're used to sort of training every single session uh, as a whole squad of 17. So it's been a little bit of a different experience for them. Um, I'm really, really fortunate that I've got great staff on the ground in PNG. Uh, my assistant coach, Mahuri Dai, he takes the reins for me when I'm not in the country. Um, and it runs a really good program over there. But it's been a, a good experience for the girls to actually do something a little bit different in their training, break up into small groups and work on more specific, uh, sorry, specific skill sets. Um, now that I've got to know the girls a little bit better, 
and an understanding of their game. We can be a little bit more specific in our training. So it's been a different experience for the girls. There's a lot of fitness going on at this time of year, which I'm not sure the girls are enjoying as much, but um, we've had a big push to, to improve our fitness so we can play in these long tournaments. But um, yeah, it's, it's certainly got its challenges, but the girls are, are willing to rise to any challenge I've found. They're really great to work with. They sound like a great bunch of girls. Just quickly, with the WBBL that um, happened this season, we know that you evolved with ABC as a commentator. How did you find that whole experience without your coaching cap on, without, I guess, being a player? <laughs> you were behind the mic and talking about the game. How was that for you? It's a lot less stressful than coaching. I know that. Much. <laughs> <laughs> You're just sort of watching the game and, and talking about it. So that was an interesting experience. And, yeah, really great to be able to connect with different people and, and talk about the game that we love so much. But, um, yeah, I can't say I had the same uh, adrenaline or um, stress that comes with coaching, <laughs> but enjoyable experience all the same. Last question from me, I guess, is is what is one piece of advice? Is we've got a, a really big audience uh, in the Pacific, and for for any young aspiring cricketers, what what's a piece of advice you can offer uh, to maybe help on their pathway? Well, I think never forget why you started playing the game, and you know what's been really pleasing for me is working with the PNG girls is they play with such passion and enjoyment, and sometimes when you get to the top level, you can forget about that reason why you started playing the game, and it becomes a little bit too serious and you can be absorbed by the pressure but I've loved working with these girls they just play with such enjoyment they play a really exciting brand of cricket and, and they play it because they love it which is really important as soon as you sort of start to lose that love for the game it's it's really hard to stay consistent in your performances so I'd just say if you if you enjoy the game just play it as much as you can play with friends play with family and never forget the reason why you started that is such sound advice. For those listening, we're chatting with Kath Heppensaw. She is the P&G cricket coach. Kath, before we let you go, we love to run a segment with our guests. It's called Tip On. It's basically 60 seconds of rapid-fire questions. You're not meant to think too hard. You're meant to say the first answer that comes to mind. Would you be interested in playing? I'll do my best. <laughs> love the attitude. All right, the clock is on. What have you been reading, watching, or listening to lately? Oh, Atomic Atomic Habits I'm reading at the moment. Who is your sporting hero? Uh, James Heard or Ricky Ponting. What would be your wrestler entrance song? (laughs) (laughs) I've got no idea. Welcome to the jungle. (laughs) Okay. What was your favourite movie as a kid? Oh, The Lion King. What's something you could eat for a month straight? Oh, any Japanese food. Favourite place you've travelled to? Ooh, good one. Um, I'm going to go with Nice in France. Ooh, and that's nice. Do you have a hidden talent? Uh, no, I don't. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Who would play you in the movie of your life? Oh, someone told me I look like Renee Zellweger once, which is not true, but I'll just go with that. <laughs> Love it. What was your first concert? Oh, I don't remember, to be honest. You put me on the spot. Sorry. I'll oh, it's all right. Conditioning or weights? Oh, wait. What was the worst job you ever had? The worst job? The worst oh, job you ever had. Oh, um, umpiring football, I'd have to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. You, you nailed that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, it's so fine. Um, Kath, it has been an absolute joy for us to speak with you on Can You Be More Pacific for the upcoming season with the Lovers. We wish you all the best and we'll be following um, the progress of the team very closely. Oh, thanks very much. Thanks, guys. You can ask that. Your chance to ask what it's really like 
to be an elite athlete on Can You Be More Pacific? Sarah, time for our favourite segment. You can ask that where we get a question from a listener that is burning in their mind uh, to ask a current or former athlete. Of course, me being the former, well, former. And the question <laughs> we have this week, and it's in light of um, AFLW Grand Final, the Brisbane Lions uh, defender Shannon Campbell won the, the player of the match. Um, the Brisbane Lions lost the Grand Final. So the question is, should a player from the losing team be able to win best on ground? This is from Eva in Adelaide. Uh, it's happened a few times in the NRL, and obviously it happened with the AFLW on the weekend. What's your thoughts, Sarah, on best on ground going to a, a losing team? I'm not opposed to the idea. If they're genuinely the best player on the field in that match, why shouldn't they be recognized whether they're in the winning or losing side? I know it causes a lot of controversy because it should be the side that's that's won the game. but Truth of the matter is both teams went down there and they gave it everything they had and then some. And if in the eyes of the spectators or whoever gets to make that decision, that play is from the team that ends up to uh, ends up losing, so be it. Yeah, I think if if the best player on the field, it should be a true like judgment, right? So regardless of a team loses, although the question probably gets worse when the team if a team gets flogged, but there's still a really good player on that team. Yeah, do you award it to them? Probably not. But if it's a really tight match and there's a player that just stands out head and shoulders above the others, then I, I think you have to go that way. Yes. I, I do remember um, working with Matty Elliott on the on rugby league here on ABC. Um, he would always award his three points to the player that had the most impact on the win. So that that for, it usually came from the winning team or it did come from the winning team because that was where the impact for the win came from. So who who was the most influential in getting the the victory for their team? They, that, that was a person who got the three points. So you kind of could never have a losing team um, have their player become the, the best on ground in that, in that instance. I guess you highlighted a really important thing there and it's criteria in the eyes of those who get to select this player then by what means is it because they had the most running meters? Because sometimes running meters or the most, like, sorry, what I meant to say is just because you have high running meters, it doesn't mean you're the most efficient on the field or you're contributing the most. Sometimes you could be running around like a headless chalk. Yeah. You're a commentator, a good one at that, I should add. When you get to choose, um, I guess, select who your three points are going to in the game that you're you're commentating, what's your criteria? I, I do factor in like stats, although stats can be deceiving to your point um, you just made there. Um, it doesn't always translate to a strong performance. You could run, I, I do remember a game where I played, I, I ran for like 130 or 140 meters, which is a decent amount That's of running huge. meters, right? I dropped the ball six times in that game. Yeah. So it was a really bad game that I, I got hammered by people after the game for how I played. So there was no chance I was winning player of the match, but my output looked good on paper if you remove the error co- column. And yeah. So stats can be deceiving. They can tell a story that, that you want them to tell, but I always consider that when I'm picking the best on the ground, look at what, what kind of input or output they had in the match um, stats-wise and base it on their contribution, kind of in structured footy play. Like what, what do they do that stands them above others? Do they have try assists or do, like, do they have um, influence over the flow of play do they change the, the depends on what kind of game is being played, right? Yeah. So, um, stats form a part of it, but it's just a feel thing, I guess. Well, there you have it. Eva, I guess in conclusion to your question, doesn't necessarily matter, um, who the, the best on ground is given to whether they win or lose, because if they're the best on ground, they're literally that. On that note, if you have any questions, please send them through to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us both on Instagram. My handle is at Serenangama and this bloke is at Dean Hallitau.
Can You Be More Pacific? On ABC Radio Australia. Oh my God. You're with Sarah and Dean talking all things sport across the Pacific. Don't go anywhere. We've still got our favourite socials and we tackle the top headlines in the ruck. In honour of the upcoming International Day of People with Disability, we revisit one of our favourite Tylenols from this season with Ellie Enoch. She is a para-athlete from Vanuatu. It's great to have you on the show, Ellie. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me as well. Ellie, can you give us a little bit of background about yourself, uh, whereabouts you're from in Vanuatu, and a little bit about uh, growing up, I guess, and, and, and becoming the athlete you are today? Uh, thank you. Um, well, um, I'm like everyone has known me, Ili uh, Inok, and I'm from um, Malekula, one of um, the second biggest island in Vanuatu, shape of a dog. <laughs> and... Um, Yes, I, I was born um, April, and um, I just got my um, disability uh, in a car accident in 2009. So that's when I got my uh, disability. And with your, um, your, your entry into sport, what, what um, motivated you to get into, into participating in sport, in particular um, athletics and then, and then on to uh, lifting as well? Um, well, the thing that really motivates me, like to be honest, is my son because I, I'm a mother as well. I have a son, and um, my son really motivates me because, like, seeing him growing up, and uh, I really want to show him that uh, when he grows up, when he grows up, because now he's just eight years old, but I know that one day when he grows up and he understands, um, like, when he comes, I am. Um, big boy he would understand that uh, a mom be I'm I'm a woman with disability but still I'm doing something that is going to be proud of when he grows up no doubt your son is very proud of you and all that you're achieving can you tell us what a, a typical training uh, week might look like for you Ellie what 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 does it um include um well on I usually do um um on Monday Wednesday and Friday, I do field training. I do uh, like I went into uh, drawings. I do drawings, and Tuesday and Thursdays, I do my gym training. Um, so because um, I'm also taking part in uh, power lifting, so um, Tuesday and Thursday, I went down to the gym to do my um, um, gym training for the power lifting, and even some of the. Um, training for the like gym training for the trovings but like um like we've known that Vanuatu we didn't really have a good facility in gyms training some yeah maybe just few of them so uh, like right now I'm doing my training down at the rowing club but um uh, we didn't have a good uh like gym gym Equipments, we didn't have most of the gym equipments, so I'm planning to go on a, I'll go and train on a different gym. So maybe next week I'll start my training, yeah, on a different gym. 
It sounds like a little bit, I guess, of a struggle to be able to find the appropriate yeah. facilities for you to train. But, you know, hearing your journey to date, you've never used that as an excuse. If anything, it's been motivation to continually push. So good on you for that. You talk about being a mother and you're an elite athlete. How do you find the balance to juggle it all? I think well, it's all about, like I've always said, that it's all about, all about time management. I, I, you have to commit yourself. So I tried my best. It's a bit challenging, but I tried my best to um, uh, make sure that I have time for this and time for that. So that's what I'm doing now. Spoken like a true elite athlete, time management. I could learn a thing or two still about that one. Uh, on the, I, I just am intrigued to know you are clearly being a trailblazer right now in Vanuatu and being a Fijian woman myself, I know in the islands, there's still that perception of women and the, the duties that they should hold in the house. Do you feel a, a shift in the way that women in sport are perceived in Vanuatu? Uh, like for me, um, not really because uh, I'm so happy that my family's around helping me so much. They really helped me with my son. So, um, yes, I think I'm, <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. But um, for me, it's just okay because uh, my families, they help me help. But, and even like I have time for, like, I went to training and even sometimes I make sure to have my time for my son to sometimes I have to bring him to uh, school and even in the afternoons because he also have some activities in church. So yes, I always uh, make sure to have time for and even I'm so happy that my families are around to help me with him. It's good to have um, have that support network. It's important for I think for anyone to have that that level of support around. Uh, talking about all the things that you are currently doing, there's there's another thing that we found that um, is interesting is that you're into acting. Can you tell us a little bit about um, your passion for acting? Yeah, uh, thank you. I, I used to um, work for the um, uh, one small back theater here in Vanuatu. Uh, I started working with them at. Um, 2014, 14 or 15, I think. Yeah, I started um, training them. Uh, I, I joined the, uh, because they have a group of uh, people with disability um, that working with them and they named their group is a Rainbow Disability Theater Group. So I started, yeah. I went and worked, uh, we went around the island doing advocacy for the people of disability. So, yes, uh, after working with them, because like first time after my accident, I just stayed home and I thought that I couldn't do anything more. But then they're the one who approached me and they've asked me to go and uh, join them. And from that time, I realized that, yeah, people living with disability, they also have the same rights. So that's when uh, I come to realize and I accept my disability because first time, like, I I, can, I just get angry <laughs> for myself because, like, um, I have my disability now and now what am I going to do? I'll just stay home and doing nothing. But then when they came and, like, they taught me that, no, being a person with disability, you'll still have opportunities. So just like, just look at your ability, what you can do. So yes, I've uh, acted with them. We went around the highlands here in Vanuatu. We to different uh, acting in um, 
different issues like uh, hygiene, sanitation, and uh, climate change, and even uh, for the rights of people with disability, we displayed uh, one of our colleagues, one of our disability, one of my disability friends' story, which is very emotional. We play that, showing people that uh, out, you know, many people's around. They always discriminate people with disability, but after showing them that the true story about my friend and it really helps them, people sharing this and like loving, but they understand what we're trying to showcase them. That is so powerful to hear. For all of our listeners that have just tuned in, we are speaking with Ellie Enoch. She is a Vanuatu Paralympian. Ellie, you've spoken about the power of sport and how when an opportunity was given to you, you were able to see new possibilities. Is it safe to say that sport really has changed your life in the best possible way? Yes, um, I would say that sport really changed my life. It really helps me to stand up for myself and to show people that being a person with disability, you can uh, just look at your ability, what you can do. And uh, um, you can, like, in life, we'll face many challenges. But through sport, it helps me to, like, stand up for myself and stay strong and always uh, think positive in my life. So I'm really happy that uh, I take part in sport and it really changed me. Ellie, you are an absolute inspiration and we are so thankful um, for you and, and the way that you've shared your story with us. Ellie, thanks so much for joining us on the show. It's been great to chat to you, to learn a little bit about uh, yourself. Uh, I wish you all the best in your upcoming events or tournaments and uh, yeah, good luck. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you as well. Thank you very much. Can you be more Pacific? Keeping it social. Keeping it social, that's the tagline of my life. Hala, what have you found? Uh, I've gone to Instagram. It's actually on the uh, NITV um, Instagram page, and it's something that was shared by a few people I know. Uh, it's, a, it's a video clip of two twin brothers from Alice Springs, two Indigenous um, young men, Tyler Abbott and Taysham Abbott. I hope I've said that right. His, uh, his first name is a bit unique. I like it. Um, anyway, they um, share a story about... Uh, coming from Alice Springs to try and um, make their way down to Tari to take part in a um, talented Aboriginal athletes program that's run by the Kari Foundation, great Indigenous foundation that do a lot of good work um, with sport as a, a kind of a, um, a thread through a lot of their programming. Uh, and the story that they go into, I'll let, I'll let them tell a little bit here as we uh, listen to some audio. It took us six months to get from Alice Springs to Tari. Ten camels and... Then when we land at Tare, we ended up with four. We sold some, lost a couple. We done um, traveling, so we get out of travel from Alice Spring. Now we're down here playing footy, getting um, more opportunities. Yeah, footy just changed my life. We didn't know how to play NRL. We used to play AFL. I keep on knock, bouncing the ball. I thought I was playing AFL. I didn't know what to do so I just followed the ball and tackle. I chose NRL because you can just run the ball. It makes your heart pump you just your heart drops and say so you, you got choose to go in New South Wales start training and stuff down here. 
How good. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Just that in itself, that that effort to uh, make that long pilgrimage, I guess you'd say, to Tari. And, and then uh, they were actually at um, the New South Wales Centre of Excellence at Homebush last Friday for um, some training and development work. And Brad Fittler uh, was leading that. He was also joined by Ron Gibbs, Nathan Blacklock, Dean Witters, and Ronald Griffiths, who's um, a coach in the NRLW. And uh, it's a, you know, a really good... Um, one, a really good program that Curry Foundation's running, but two, a really good story to hear those two brothers take that effort to try and, you know, seek out an opportunity. Yeah, I love it. That's definitely the, the things that we love to cover on this show. My social for this week comes from the ABC Sport Instagram. Tracy Holmes, she is currently covering the World Cup and in one of her crosses, she had some fans join her. Wonderful. So the Australians are going to have to be at their best. Step in. Come on. Come on. He wants to say hello. Here's a local. ABC Australia. Come in. Oh, you want to come in? Come in. There you go. And who's going to win tomorrow? Australia or Tunisia? Oh, we divided the heart right now because you're asking hard questions. We are Arabian. We support Arabian. But we love Australia too. Very good. Very good. Everyone's a winner. Everyone's a winner at the World Cup. Thank you so much. It's just fantastic because you see one... One kid pop in and then like another four just flood and they're all in their cultural dress as well. So it just makes such uh, heartwarming content. Yeah, good work from Tracy Holmes to, to bring him in on the, on the, on the <laughs> coverage legend. and uh, get, their, get their feedback. In the ruck. Tackling the tough headlines in sport on Can You Be More Pacific? Time to get into the headlines, and uh, we'll start with some um, some positive news. The Netball World Rankings have come out, and uh, there's a number of teams. It's a, firstly, it's a record on how many teams actually hold an official ranking. So there's 53 ranked teams in international uh, or world netball, which is awesome. But among that, uh, we see Tonga ranked at 8th. We've got Fiji ranked 15th. Samoa is ranked 18th, and the Cook Islands are ranked 19th. So plenty of Pacifica representation in the uh, Netball World Rankings. Yeah, one team that I do want to note is Tonga. They are currently ranked eighth. They came uh, to Australia at the beginning of the year and they were just here most recently. Um, and I guess a lot of it has been funded by Pacific Oz Sports, which has been an awesome opportunity for these international nations to compete even more so. So a fantastic result. And we know that there is a huge tournament coming up in the Solomon Islands next year. So the more game time the girls get, the more competitive they'll be and the better the quality of the tournament will be also. Yeah, no doubt we'll see those nations continue to climb through the ranks, which will be awesome. Awesome. Uh, now, the AFLW, we mentioned the grand final took place last weekend, but uh, the Carlton Blues also had their um, awards night and uh, a friend of the show, uh, someone that we've had on quite a bit is Moa Loloifi. She was uh, named the most valuable blue bagger uh, at their annual presentation night, which means um, she's made the most significant contributions on and off the field. Uh, it's a, probably one that... Uh, most players at the club would be really honoured to receive that, Absolutely. especially um, seeing that it was peer voted. So well done to Moa. Yes, congratulations to her. She's had a pretty solid season. So onwards and upwards for her. Turning over to the NRL. Now, the Warriors, they, they unlike Moa, have had a very hard season, I guess it's safe to say. But a fantastic initiative has just come to light um, as they have paired up with Air New Zealand to offer fans affordable fares for their round one match in Wellington. Like Just to give our listeners a bit of insight, what they're offering is 150 seats will be available um, for uh, – I guess from Auckland to Wellington, so a domestic flight. But in addition to that, 519 for return flights, including tickets to their match and accommodation. Now, if there was ever a way to be able to promote the game to get more bums in seats, this has to be it. And dare I say, I have never seen an airline do this. 
Now, this is uh, enormous uh, from both Air New Zealand and, and great from the Warriors to, to be able to get this opportunity for their fans. And they'll be taking on the Newcastle Knights. So um, it'll be really special. Uh, I, I wonder how they – there must be an application process or something to, to get those. First in. come, first serve? First come, first serve. Is that it? I don't know. Too sure, much paperwork sure, if you have to surely, review applications. Surely you have to reward like members that have been around for a long time. Or, Truly. Yeah. We'll find out more details on, on how that rolls out, but a great initiative from both the club and the airline, and uh, we look forward to seeing how they go down there in Wellington for round one. It's, uh, I think it's the first time they've opened a season down there in Wellington at the Caton, so it should be exciting. Well, it's been some time that they've had any kind of game in New Zealand, particularly for the Warriors, so... Yes, again, fantastic for them. Last but surely not least, rookie camp has been taking place, and then we're talking about rugby league here. And you, Hulla, you made your way down there. Yeah, the rookie camp took place out at Penrith Leagues Club um, a few weekends ago. Oh, how fitting where the, where the premiership winners are. Yeah, well, that's right. And uh, <laughs> look, it's a, it's a great uh, leagues club and, and plenty of space uh, for this function to take place or these, these um, sessions to take place. I've been a part, lucky to be a part of the, the rookie camp over a number of years. Uh, it's a couple of days where they bring in um, players that are in the top squad for the first time that are aged roughly, they're aged between um, 18 to 21, 22. If they haven't completed a rookie camp before and they're in a top squad, they have to come. So typically clubs send maybe four or five players, some six players, and they come along with their wellbeing managers and they get um, two days worth of, uh, here's what you need to know about being an NRL player. Here are some of the things that you need to be aware of contractually, um, some code of conduct information, um, social media, how to speak to media, so media training. And I was there to deliver... Um, the concussion awareness chat. So basically I talked them through the injury surveillance program that I head up and, and how that rolls out. And um, it's always a really good event because you get to see some of the young talent that's, uh, that's coming through and how they actually act and behave in a, in a really different setting to what you would you know typically see from a football player throughout a week. And a lot of the, the people that they have at the camp that are talking, uh, you know, former players or ex subject matter experts that, can give them a lot of you know really useful information. David Solomona and um, Clinton Tupi actually hosted the event. Two very funny guys, but also two really sensible guys that have some some great messaging to share. Alan Tung was there to deliver. Um, I think he delivered the respect for relationship session. Um, Jason King, who's now a senior executive at the NRL, he spoke about some things around the integrity uh, related areas. So it was a uh, you know a really good camp and and one that uh, I know the team in the wellbeing education uh, department put a lot of effort into putting that on. Yeah, sounds like there was a bit going on. Just two quick questions. Is it more so educational rookie camp as opposed to like physical exertion testing is, and stuff? There's no physical component of it. They all came in um, yeah, purely for education. So it's like here's a lot of information, but you need to know this stuff because it's um, you know, critical in being a first grade footballer. I love that. And the second question that comes to mind is how do, for, other than the players um, who are training with the top squads, the, the, the younger boys anyways, how do they um, cast the net wider than that? How do you choose your players that get to attend? Well, it, it is it is that named rookie camp because it's NRL. It's only NRL squad players. Okay. Um, oh, okay. There so you go. That, that's why it is rookie camp. But um, the players that come through pathway systems like junior reps and whatnot, they get delivered information at those levels as well. So we have um, workshops that are designed to, to go to like Harold Matthews, SG Ball, Tasha Gale, like all, all the pathway systems get the equivalent of it education in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. This is kind of like a step up and like it sets the sort of tone for what the expectation is in the NRL. So this has been going on since 2008 or nine. Um, it, the, the department does a really good job at running these events. So successful. Uh, hopefully the players took note and, um, you know, we see some really good people come through alongside good footballers. Yes, because good people make good footballers.
ABC Radio Australia, your home of Sarah and Dean. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for. If you missed the show or you just want to listen to the magic again, it'll be replayed on Friday, 2pm VHE time, where you can find all of our episodes on the Radio Australia website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want more sport, you can check out That Pacific Sports Show on Wednesday night or catch up on ABC Australia iView. Bye there. It's all okay. Can you be more Pacific? An ABC Sport production for ABC Radio Australia. This program has been funded by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade.